Welcome to episode 301 of Live Happy Now. Have you thought about what you're eating today? No, I mean, really thought about it. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and this week we're joined by Dr. Michael Fenster, better known as Chef Dr. Mike. He's a cardiologist who teaches and practices culinary medicine to encourage people to take control of their health, wellness, and happiness through their relationship with food. He's here today to talk about mindful eating, how it affects us, and how you can start your own mindful eating practice. Chef Dr. Mike, welcome to Live Happy Now. Thank you so much, Paul. I'm absolutely delighted and excited, as you can tell, to be chatting with you today about my passion, which is culinary medicine. This is so interesting because I don't, I think I've had a cardiologist on the show. We've never had a cardiologist who's a chef. So to start with, how does that work together and how did that happen? I've got to say, and pat myself on the back a little bit, I am the one and only. And also I teach culinary medicine at the University of Montana. So I'm a professor of culinary medicine as well. So those sorts of vetting and credentials, I, you just won't find anywhere else because nobody has them. And so I think that kind of contributes along with my personal journey to kind of a unique viewpoint on food and health and the food experience relationship, because it's not just about nutrition and biochemistry and physiology, which I certainly appreciate from the medical, the physician viewpoint, but there's also the love of food. There's the joy of cooking, right? The, you know, the incredible timeless bestseller. There's that food experience that comes from being a culinary professional. And what we're finding out is that that element is incredibly important to our overall health and well being. And what I love about your mission is that you're not just telling people to eat this or eat that for better health, you are changing the relationship that people have with food. And so, why is that so important to you personally to do that? Well, you bring up a couple of great points there, Paul. I mean, first, when we look at some of the recent data that's come out, and a lot of this is really the last decade, maybe even really only the last five years or so coming to the forefront. I'm referring to things like getting into and understanding more about the bacteria, the hundred trillion bacteria that live in our gut, the gut microbiome, and you know, going from something that was back in the dark ages when we use, you know, leeches. And I guess we still could use plague masks today with COVID. But, <laughs> um, you know, back in the dark ages, I remember being taught that, yeah, there's these bacteria that live in your gut, but they don't really perform any function. They just happen to live there because there's foods we eat that we can't digest that they can. Now we understand that this is an incredibly symbiotic organ that is in constant communication with our brain, influencing our emotional states, in contact with our health in terms of sending modulators and signals and products, you know, throughout our body. So it really functions as a symbiotic organ. You know, one study recently showed that if I were to draw a sample of blood from you at sort of any given time, about 40% of the communication molecules that travel throughout the bloodstream come from the gut. And that includes the gut bacteria. So, you know, phenomenally important in, in those terms. And what we are also seeing is, you know, a connection back to what was observed really by Hippocrates, by the Buddha, by many great thinkers, scientists, and seekers of wisdom, you know, over 2,500 years ago, 
is that there is a connection not just between what we eat, but also how we eat. And I don't know how many of your listeners are familiar with this, but I always find it fascinating because in the story of the Buddha, his very first lesson after he received enlightenment and stepped away from the Bodhi tree was actually about food. It was what we would call the food experience today, what we teach in culinary medicine. And he met a group of school children and he was like, you know, I don't even know if I can communicate this information about enlightenment. Nobody's going to believe me. You know, this is just kind of crazy newfangled perspective stuff. And so he talked to these school children about eating a tangerine and mindfulness of when you eat a tangerine, you know, smell the tangerine, taste the tangerine, feel those segments as they separate which today we refer to as MBE or mindfulness-based eating awareness techniques, which have a host of documented benefits. But, you know, that was the Buddha's very first lesson about enlightenment 2,500 years ago. And here we are now, you know, just acquiring the scientific validation of these positive effects. Can you talk a little bit about what mindful eating is? Because that's what attracted, you know, I saw your messaging on mindful eating. And of course, Live Happy Now, we talk a lot about mindfulness and different practices. We've never addressed it from a standpoint of mindful eating. So can you explain to us what it is and then why it's so good for us? Sure. And I'm going to give a little background because a lot of people say, well, what the heck does a cardiologist know about (laughs) mindfulness? We're just on our phones running around. But actually, again, kind of my path diverged when I was a teenager and got into the martial arts. So as part of our study decades ago, which I've continued now for many decades, as part of the practice of martial arts, we didn't call it mindfulness then. It didn't sort of have It was really great labels and kind of buzzwords. It was just a technique we used to maybe say focused awareness. And basically, we were learning that to be really aware and focused at the same time. So we didn't get hit in the head with a punch or a kick. It had very practical use. So I was introduced to those techniques many decades ago, and they've become a very critical part of my life and who I am. And I've continued education in terms of those, and they naturally lend themselves to food. And so when we talk about mindfulness, what we're really talking about is a practice of focused awareness to really be in the moment and not just in the moment, but in the moment without judgment. So fascinating you know, data, I think this comes from a Harvard study, if I'm not mistaken, shows that about 40% of the time, we're not in the present. Our minds are thinking about something that happened yesterday or we're worrying about something that's going to happen in the future. So if we stop for just a moment, you know, the present is all we have to live. We are here in the present. You spend all this time planning for tomorrow, but you're not living your life. You're not here in the present. And so it's important to that we be in the present. And that we also be in the present without judgment, you know, without criticizing ourselves. So often when people start, they're like, I'm horrible at this. My mind is, you know, running around. One of the things, one of the very important things we learn early on in this practice is very important in all types of healing, physical healing, emotional healing, et cetera. And that is self-compassion. So you treat your mind like a puppy you just got. 
And when you just get a puppy, they're going to have an accident on the floor and they're going to be running around not knowing what they should do. That's okay. They're a puppy. And you wouldn't be very harsh with the puppy. You would treat the puppy with kindness. And so as we go into this, we treat our minds, we treat ourselves with kindness and compassion, and we bring ourselves back to the present. When it comes to food, it can be as simple as a ritual of gratitude. That's something that I practice every day. That's simply taking a few minutes to shift into an attitude of gratitude and be thankful for the meal that's in front of me, the plant and animal beings that comprise that meal, that gave their life for my meal, the people that are involved in producing the food, the chef who made that meal for me. And actually what we find when we study that is a couple of very important processes happen in our brain. So number one is that there is an area of the brain that we can get caught into where we get caught into this victim mentality. And that is associated kind of with negative emotions and kind of a promulgation of disease risk. We know that people who suffer from depression, for example, have the same risk in terms of cardiovascular events as any cholesterol level. Yet so often we just want to treat a cholesterol number and not address the anxiety and the depression, et cetera. When we shift into that aspect of gratitude, it is impossible for us physiologically to be in the same part of the brain that is associated with being a victim. And in fact, we switch to basically an oxytocin, which people may know as the love hormone type of positive feedback loop. And so that, just to give people an idea, right, the cardiovascular risk is associated in a very powerful way with our body's level of inflammation. Well, when we engage in these types of mindfulness activities, this simple ritual that we associate with eating before a meal and a mindfulness-based eating awareness technique, we can show that there are statistically significant reductions in the body's level of inflammation. How long does that last? So say I am adopting this and I do it one time. <laughs> and but does it have an immediate effect? Or is it something that needs to be done continuously before you start seeing that? Yeah, it's interesting. Like any other practice, what we do, it probably is related to a phenomenon in our brains that has to do with kind of how long we practice. So I would make the analogy that if you have one meal, one month, that's a green salad, and you eat fast food drive through you know, and chips and other junk food and snack food, the other 29 days of the month, three times a day, that salad's not going to really have a big effect. I mean, it's better than nothing, right? But it's, it's not going to have an impact. But if you incorporate that into your daily regimen, then before you know it, you have a very positive effect. So again, in this form of practice, there's a guideline that says, you know, if you have great involvement, great enlightenment, little involvement, little enlightenment, no involvement, no enlightenment. And so it really is proportional to, you know, how deeply you practice. And what the science tells us is that somewhere between eight to 12 minutes of practice a day is where we start to really see not only just functional, but Believe it or not, these types of practices actually change the structure of our brain. 
And that is something that's been demonstrated with both functional and structural MRI scans. When we practice mindfulness-based techniques, what we find is that the areas of brain associated with compassion, with caring, with us living a happy, healthy life, those are the areas of the brain actually become resistant to the normal atrophy we associate with aging. And seeing we think of just food, as you said, sometimes people think of it as fuel. A lot of times, especially right now, people talk about comfort food or just wanting something that makes them feel happy at the moment. But, you know, obviously a lot of that food, even if it's momentarily making them feel good, it has long term devastating effects on their bodies. So as you begin to practice mindful eating, will it start to change what you want and how your relationship is with food? There's two parts to that answer. So the first part is because of the construction, which really started to roll out with the Industrial Revolution, but has become accelerated since World War II, we have something called the standard American diet or the modern Western diet. And standard American diet, appropriately enough, is often known as the SAD, Sad. S-A-D. <laughs> and that is the convenience food, the really adulterated food. The problem is that it's basically built for addiction. And it's constructed by industry to get you to purchase, to crave things. A great book by David Kessler who is head of the FDA, his book a couple of years ago was called The End of Overeating. And in that book, when he had left his post as head of the FDA, he basically went to food manufacturers and looked at how they built and constructed food. And what he revealed in this book, and it's really you know well, well documented with articles and scientific references, is that the food is constructed to be hyper palatable, to be addictive. And it turns out that the further we move away from nature and the more we adulterate and ultra process our food and and highly process our food, the more that correlates with the development of kind of the scourges of our modern industrialized world, which is, again, the chronic diseases of obesity, diabetes, heart disease, et cetera. Unfortunately, in this country, for a number of political and financial influences, we don't really look at food the way we should, once you start feeling better, Paula, once you are physically better, that part of the healthy relationship you have with the food, that sets the template for the other relationships in our life. And as we draw data from studies like the Harvard Happiness Study, from the Blue Zones Investigations, which was Dan Buettner's work with National Geographic, what we find when we look at a simple question that I think everybody wants an answer to. What is it in my life that, you know, I can engage in that helps me live a healthy life, a long life with preserved cognitive function, that I feel good, that I have wellness throughout my life, and I'm happy. And what we find at the end of the day, it's not your cholesterol level. As a cardiologist, I have to admit that. It's not how much money you have after a certain basic threshold is met. It's not how many Facebook likes you get on your posts or Instagram followers. It is the quality, specifically not the quantity, is the quality of the relationships in our lives. And that all starts with our relationship with food. So this is what I love about talking with you is you make it seem very doable and you make it appealing because a lot of times people think about 
quote unquote, getting healthy and eating healthy. And they think, oh, I'm never going to eat something good again. But it really changes you. It changes how you see food and it changes how you taste food. So where can people start? A great place to start is on our website. So there's information about a course we teach, which is there's opportunities for health professionals to get CMEs. There's opportunities for culinary professionals to get American Culinary Federation certified educational units. It's just an introductory course that's built for the general public. It's done through the University of Montana. It's the same graduate level course I teach to the students there. They can learn about it. And you bring up a really great point, which is when people hear kind of healthy eating, (laughs) it becomes work. And, you know, I would ask people, that's not what food is. That's not the human experience with food, right? Food is about human beings being together. I mean, that's how we became humankind. Throughout history, food has been our history as human beings. It remains our social currency. It's not work. It can't ever be work. Maybe in the short term, if you got a few pounds to lose and and you want to do that, but there's a reason 90% of restrictive diets fail within five years. It's got to be fun. It's got to be about what you, Paula, your favorite foods, what you like. you got to be excited and happy to sit down to a meal. And if it's all about deprivation, you know, life is too short for that. So yeah, look on the website and see all the different things I put up there in terms of the food that we can eat. It's about the ingredients we use. It's about how we show respect, how we prepare, how we focus on a sustainable approach for ourselves, for our community, for the environment, for our planet. It's about recognizing that how we are interconnected with our food and thus with each other and every other thing in this planet. I think you'll find that that food, not only do you feel better, it just takes us to a happy place. I know you've got so much that we can learn from you because to your point, healthy food can be incredibly enjoyable and it's incredibly good for us both emotionally and physically. So uh, I suspect that you and I will talk again. It really is an it's important topic. I don't think it's talked about enough and I don't think we emphasize how much it affects both our physical and our personal happiness as well. So thank you so much for coming on and talking about this. That was Chef Dr. Mike talking about mindful eating. If you'd like to learn more about his Introduction to Culinary Medicine course or start following him on social media, visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one. 